And option two, which is idolatry. Option one is God. I'm building my case today, hoping that you will come to a position of eliminating idolatry in your life for the true and living God. When a finite value, a center of value by which other values are judged, has been elevated to centrality and imagined as the final source of meaning, then one has chosen what Jews and Christians call a God. So when you take a a value, and that value is the value by which you judge everything else in your life, that is your God. That is your central value. To be worshipped as a God, something must be sufficiently good to be plausibly regarded as the rightful center of one's valuing. And then here's the line maybe that we can grab hold of. One has a God... When a finite value is worshipped and adored and viewed as that without which one cannot receive life joyfully. So uh, this guy, his name is uh, Thomas Oden in the book Two Worlds. He's suggesting that if you want to sort of measure your God, you want to measure what it is that you can't live life joyfully without. And this, is, this rattles my world because uh, I, I can't really imagine living without my wife. The thought, of, the thought of, of tomorrow without my wife, the thought of tomorrow, I don't know if I could receive life joyfully without my wife. Could easily make my wife an idol in my life. Larry Severson uh, as a friend, I sent you a picture of him, uh, Celeste. I don't know if you got it. Uh, Larry Severson and his wife uh, retired. Uh, she worked for the state of Alaska. He was a counselor. They retired, and uh, uh, she retired a year before him, and they were so looking forward to retirement together on their first retirement trip, their first one. A texting teenager ran her stop sign and killed her. So I go to the funeral at... Uh, the Covenant Church in Eagle River, and Larry got up to speak. And I think, I don't say this lightly, I think he changed my life forever. He said, uh, Karen, I want to thank you for being a gift from God to me. And I let you go back to the Father because if I cling to you, you weren't a gift. You became a possession and an idol in my heart. And so God, big tears coming down his cheeks. God, thank you for the gift of Karen all these years. He says in this text that if you let your your son become your central value, you let your wife, you you let your career, in the book that uh, uh, Tim Keller wrote called Counterfeit Gods, he goes after three big ones, sex, wealth, and acclaim, sex, wealth, and fame, or, or being loved by people. There's people all over the world that say, you know what, I can't imagine living life without being free to be the sexual being that I am. And the central core of their life is I can't live without my sexuality. And that sexuality has become a God. 
Someone else say, I can't imagine living without my house or my, I can't imagine living without my retirement account or I can't imagine living without all of this. Tim Keller would say, then that's become an alternate God. Here's what Keller says in his book called Counterfeit Gods. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. I have a confession to make, and it's a, it's a beautiful confession, and it's been really hard for me to come to terms with, but I'm working on it. And that is, I can't imagine living life without Maldon Community Assembly. I love you. I've given 35 years of my life, 24 hours a day to you and this church. I love this church. With everything in me, I love this church. But I have to say, I have to come to a place of where life is fully worth living because I have God in my life, even if Muldoon Assembly isn't. Is it possible that ministry can become an idol? I'm living proof. It can. He goes on to say an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. In fact, the better the thing is in your life, the more likely it is to become an idol. From the research of Brian Rosner, greed is idolatry, the origin and meaning of a Pauline metaphor. Keller states, the Bible uses three basic metaphors to describe how people relate to the idols of their hearts. The three ways after, after uh, expansive study of human beings, sociology, anthropology, Christianity, they love idols, they trust idols, they obey idols. And each of these will be another talk in another, in another time. But as we think today about, oh yeah, your God will be my God, I think for, for all of us, we have to sort of deal with the idea of what we've allowed in as an alternative God that we love, that we trust, and that we obey. How many of you are going to be just fine in retirement? Say aye. Why? Because of your company? Because of your savings? Because you worked really hard in your 401k and your, 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 no, no, that would be idolatry. You're going to be fine in retirement because He's your God. That's why you'll be fine in retirement. Well, what if I have a baby and there's some kind of disease? And what guys, people, they tell me this all the time. How can I bring babies into this world? The way you bring babies into this world is because God is your God. And the same God that you've trusted in all your life is the same God your baby will trust in all of their lives. And you come to a place of just saying, you know what, God, I'm not going to love that idol. I'm not going to trust that idol. I'm not going to obey that idol. I'm going to love, trust, and obey you. Praise the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to become. I realize my full potential when I address what God is really going to be my God. I have eight points today. Like I mentioned, I'm going to do a flyby and come back in future weeks. Plan to give about a minute and a half to all eight of these, to each eight of these. Eight processes of destroying idolatry in our lives. 
They're all taken from a famous passage, uh, Joshua 24. And many of you have heard a line from Joshua 24, and it's, uh, it's not quite good to only do that one line because there's so much teaching around that one line. Here's the one line. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We say it with me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Before we get there, we're going to learn how to not serve idols. We're going to learn how to serve God. With Joshua and all the tribes of Israel, we present ourselves before God. Step number one, to destroying idolatry in Kent's life. Step number one to destroying idolatry in your life is to come and present yourself before the Lord. And you say, uh, you know, God, I come before you today and I present myself to you. Maybe you're an atheist today at, at this moment. And, and you say, well, how can I present myself to a God I don't believe in? Here's a mistake of modernity, or post-modernity, actually. Postmodern teaches, uh, it doesn't really teach, but it gets lived out, that if you don't believe it, it doesn't exist. That's sort of, that's sort of what it comes out as, post-modernity. Uh, oh, well, I, uh, people would say to me, oh, I, I respect your tradition. Like, 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 because I believe it, it somehow is true, but it's only true for me. It's not true anywhere else. It's only like this personal relative truth deal rolling on. And so today I, I would suggest to you that even if you don't believe that God exists, he still exists. Your belief or lack of belief doesn't change. Years ago, my dad gave an illustration to me and, and I got it. He said, son, if you drink this glass of water, uh, it might be good for you. It was an illustration. I said, "Uh, okay, I don't get it, dad. He said, well, really, just because you believe it's water doesn't mean I didn't put it full of Clorox. And your belief that that, that that beverage is water does not change the fact that it might be gasoline or that it might be, you could tell the difference, but Clorox and water look quite similar. And so you're here today and you say, you know what, I, I, I follow uh, the atheism in Buddhism or I follow the pantheism of Hinduism or I follow the, the non-volitional God of Islam and, and you're up here saying, present myself before the Lord. I'm not even sure about this Lord. Well, I assure you, he is the Lord, whether you believe it or not. And so you're invited to present yourself. You might even say this, uh, God... I'm not even sure if you're real. I'm not even sure if you exist. But I present myself to you just in case you do. Number two. As we present ourselves to the Lord, we recall the vast number of amazing things in our lives that only God could have provided and done. So here we come and we present ourselves to God. Okay, God, this is Kent and I'm on my way to idolatry free living so I can become a person of fully realized potential. So God, I present myself and, and now that I'm here, in fact, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be alive if you hadn't created a world for people to be alive in. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have an existence unless you created a, a system in which existence can exist. Uh, Here's a philosophy term. I wouldn't have any being if you didn't create a world where isness is capable. 
God, uh, I just want to present myself and recall, thank you for giving me life. Have you ever talked to Troy back there, Troy Hart? You say, how are you doing today, Troy? He said, I woke up breathing this morning. Did anybody wake up breathing this morning? Some of you I'm concerned about. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I woke up breathing this morning. And then you can go, does anybody here remember the day that you asked Jesus to wash your sin away and all your guilt was gone and the beauty of holiness poured into your soul? Lord, I'm presenting myself. I'm on my way to an idolatry-free life. But right now, I'm recalling all the things you've done for me. Amen. Does anybody have a spouse in the house? You're kidding. Somebody could love you. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Paula loves me. I have no clue why. I am loved. My grandson generally loves me too. It's like, why? Why? Because it's a gift from God. It's a beautiful thing. So here in Joshua 24, God says, I'm going to remind you what I've done. Present yourself and remember what God has done. I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into Canaan. Verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there and I brought you out. Did God bring anybody out from something? Yeah, I brought you out. Verse number eight, I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. Has God given something into your hands that you don't deserve to have in your hands? But he is so kind. See, we're presenting ourselves to God. We are coming before him and recalling the stuff he has done. Here's verse 13. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Praise God. God is saying, recall all that I've done in your life as you present yourself to me. Number three. We fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Joshua 24, 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Lord, I present myself. I recall all you've done. Fear means fear and it means respect. It doesn't mean one or the other. It means both. The Bible has words for revere. The Bible has words for reverence. They didn't choose those word reverence. They chose the word fear. Why? Because when you realize this God that you have now dialed in on, you realize his awesome power. You realize, uh, have you even seen the power of Niagara Falls? And it's like, there's a lot of power in that water. Have you, have you seen the power that exists? Uh, that little earthquake, it was only a seven point something, right? The one in 1964 was nine, 9.8. And each jump is 10 times stronger. So from a seven to an eight is a hundred times stronger. So, so you have that, that, did you feel the power of that earthquake and hear it? Well, that's nothing, man. That's a little earth in a big universe shaking a little bit. We're talking about the God of all of that. And he's saying, when you present yourself and you recall, you have a measure of, uh, of respectful fear and you serve him. Number four, now we throw away our idols and we serve the Lord. We throw away our idols and we serve the Lord. 
Verse 14, throw away the gods of your ancestors' worship beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. I made throw the underline because I'd really like for you to get the idea. It is so yucky. It is so insignificant that the best thing you can do is throw it away. I know I'm talking, uh, I'm not there yet, but uh, uh, if we talk about sex, money, and and acclaim or fame as three idols we got to throw away, and I say to you, that sexual thing in your life is not pleasing to God, it's idolatrous, you need to throw it away. A lot of people are like, I want to keep it. What do you mean throw it away? It's fun, it's rewarding, it's uh, intimacy, but when you see... The idea of what the real true God can fulfill in your life, all these alternative gods, the only thing you want to do is throw it away. You want to throw it away. You want to say, oh man, I'm, I'm nervous. A lady told me this, a, a Christian lady, friend of mine. She said, you know what? I'm so nervous. I've taken up smoking and nicotine. It calms me down. To which, what do I want to say? I want to say, I thought he was Jehovah Shalom, God our peace. I think the nicotine is an alternative God for Jehovah Shalom. You say, you know, I, I just, I just calm my nerves down by eating. I, uh, the way I, the way I do it is, uh, when I don't, when I don't feel like life is really going well, I go shopping because somehow when I spend money and I get more stuff, my soul is more satisfied. And I want to say, but I thought it was Jesus that satisfied our soul, not Nordstrom's. I got a funny Nordstrom story, not in my sermon, but why not tell it now? My friend Martin Olson was getting a degree at Seattle Pacific University, and his degree required him to teach at uh, a a school on Mercer Island. And he said, they want me to teach on Alaska. He said, said, would you go with me? You got more Alaska uh, Arctic stories than I do. I said, sure. So we're sitting there, and we teach the boys and girls, and we say, Martin Olson goes, and we have a small airplane, and we fly to our cabin, and we go fishing. Have any of you ever seen a small airplane? The teacher said, uh, their parents all have jets. <laughs> We're like, oh, Mercer Island, different economy. <laughs> and, uh, and so afterwards, this little boy's sitting on my knee, and he wanted to hear about polar bears. And uh, I said, yeah, what's your name? He said, uh, Jimmy. I said, what's your last name? Nordstrom. <laughs> I go, oh, yeah, no wonder they all have jets. <laughs> But when there's something in your life, the other boy goes, my daddy owns the Seattle Times. But anyways, uh, uh, when you're you're, uh, looking for stuff in your heart that you say, God, I really want to be free of idolatry, you got to be willing to throw it. You got to be willing to throw it. A lady will come to me, or usually it's a lady, I'll say, you know what, I'm repenting of, uh, I'm repenting of adultery, and I, I want to serve the Lord. I say, great, can you give me all of the presents that he gave you in that adulterous relationship? No. I say, I thought you were repenting. Well, I like the notes, I like the clothes, I like the jewelry, I like the perfume. You're not, you're not, you're not changing out the alternative God. If you're keeping all the terrain of the alternative God in your life, you didn't like that, sorry, didn't mean to get so personal, but 
You got to be willing to throw it away. Praise God. Why? Because the real God is so much better. You won't miss it. You won't miss it. It's like when you replace God with pot, you're going to miss God. When you replace pot with God, you're not going to miss a thing. This is my favorite part, I think. Number five, we understand it is of our own free will that we make our God the selection. But if serving the Lord, verse 15 says, seems undesirable to you, isn't God cool? Right? Because he doesn't make you. Some people believe he does, but clearly he doesn't. So can you imagine, can you imagine uh, you walk up to this lady and you have, a, you have a gun and you say, be my wife or love me or I'll shoot you. She goes, well, okay, I want to live. Well, what kind of love is that? You know, uh, uh, we have all kinds of religions that say, believe what we believe or you're dead. No, this is not God. God created it so that you get to choose to love him. He didn't foreordain it and make you to love him. You're free to choose any God you want to choose. This passage says, if God is undesirable, then pick another one. Go for it. Of course, it'll be to your detriment. But but if you want a different God, go for it. If it's undesirable to you, make a desirable decision to you. And I, I would encourage you, brothers and sisters... I find the God who loved me enough to send his only son to give his life so that his blood would cover over my sin as it were on the altar of heaven. I find that the kind of God that it's really worth selling out all other alternative gods for. Praise God. Really, did Buddha die for you? Did Mohammed die for you? Did uh, atheism ever do anything for your life? Or is there a God and only one who is supreme above all others that says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love? Praise God. Praise God. The Bible is so clear. You don't have to. It's your choice. But you are personally responsible. The word there is free will. For all of you that will call me this week and say, you missed a blank. Free will. It's our own free will that we get to choose God. Aren't you glad that God chose you? Isn't that cool? But it's also equally cool that God in his grace let you choose God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm responsible. Then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. On our way to becoming people of realized potential and eliminating the idolatry in our lives, we have the responsibility to activate our free will and choose this God. It's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful responsibility, but it is a responsibility. Then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Seventh, we record our decision with witnesses. We record our decision with witnesses. Verse 26, and Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. And I, this is part might be new for some of you. But when you are saying, I am going to become a person of realized potential. I am going to eliminate the idols in my life so that my life is founded on the one true God. You want somebody to witness that with you. And does anybody see the next line in the notes? Water baptism. This is one of many. This is one of many recordings 
of your decision. And uh, like we just did in a, a previous service today when we dedicated Juliet to the Lord, all the rest of her life, they will be able to say in February of 2019, you were dedicated to the Lord. And there was a group of witnesses. And when the enemy comes in and says, you know what, I want to try to put disease on this little girl. Mama can stand there and say, we recorded, she was dedicated to the Lord. So yeah, she will be disease free. Or secondly, if she gets a disease, the disease will serve the purposes of God in her life. Why? Because we dedicated her to the Lord and we recorded it with a bunch of witnesses. But that's, that's the most common, be, uh, infant dedication and water baptism. But there's a bunch of others that you want to have witnesses to in your life as well. One time, and my, my Bibles are my, my favorite possessions, and uh, in my Bible, I wrote, I will be a holiness preacher. I saw the tendency of the culture to make preaching uh, uh, sociological or psychological. I saw the pressure for preaching to become, do whatever it takes to get the crowd, because the crowd is our God in much church life. Uh, that's, that's really, I don't know, you're on the outside of preacher world, but a lot of people, whatever it takes to fill the house, and that's, and I, I wrote in my Bible, I, I'm going to not succumb, Lord willing, to whatever it takes to get a crowd. Uh, my background is, be ye holy for I am holy. My background is without holiness, no man will see God. I wrote, I will be a holiness preacher, and I dated it. I'm out the Brownsville Revival, and the evangelist walks by. His name is Steve Hill. I said, Steve, uh, uh, can I interrupt your busy moment? He goes, okay. I said, uh, I said, I'd like you to witness a declaration I've written in my Bible. And he says, he read it. I will be a holiness preacher. I signed it, and Steve Hill signed it. And I have a witness. If I want to shy away from telling you there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, you know, 50% of millennials believe it is morally wrong to evangelize. 50%. And I stand here and say, you know what? Uh, there's a heaven to walk through in heaven's gates, and there's a hell you don't want to be part of. If I ever want to back down from the gospel to build the crowd, Steve Hill, though he's in the heavenlies with God now, has signed as a witness that I won't do that. Number eight, you set up a memorial to remind us and our witnesses of our commitment. Then he took a large stone and set it up under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, Joshua said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord had said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Can stones witness? No. But the fact is, in their case, when they would pile those stones and make, as it were, a memorial, 80 years later, their great-grandkids are walking by and they go, what are these stones? What are these all about? Oh, these are all about when grandma, great-grandma and great-grandpa said, you know what, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. So you know what, kids? You need to serve the Lord because grandma and grandpa did that decision and this is a memorial. 
I have one memorial, at, at least one, that is very precious to me. It's my childhood Bible. And uh, it is uh, given to me by Clara White. Uh, She was a Church of God in Christ uh, minister. We lived in Anderson, Alaska, and there was no Church of God in Christ. Uh, They were a big part of the ministry there. Shout out to all the Sunday school people. We appreciate your ministry to kids. Praise God. She gave me my Bible. I love it. It's at home. Then one day I went to church and the guy, when you have PTSD, you don't like sermons about a persecuted church. You know what I'm talking about? And they didn't know I had PTSD. I was only this big, but uh, I was like eight or nine years old. I don't remember exactly, but uh, I was young and the guy preached about persecuted church and he was trying to be graphic because he thought it would move the people and he told the stories of you know, slicing people. I won't go on to all the details because you might have PTSD. He went through all the gory facts of persecution. Unbelievably gross. So that night I couldn't sleep. And my mom goes, why are you crying? I said, because I can't sleep. She goes, why? I said, that sermon. She goes, oh, son, don't you know that if they persecute you like that, you'll be with Jesus? I said, maybe. She goes, well, would you like to receive Jesus in your heart and make sure? I said, yeah, mom, I'd like to make sure. She said, let's turn around and kneel by the bed. So we turned around, we knelt by the bed, and my mom said the sinner's prayer with me. And she knew that in high school, I might not want to keep that commitment. She knew that when the pressure was on and the the sex drive kicks in and the need to fit into a peer group kicked in, I might not want to remember what I did at that bedside in Barrow, Alaska. So she said, let's just write in your Bible. And I can't write legibly now, and I surely couldn't then. And so my mom wrote in my Bible, I received Jesus as my Savior today. She put the date in. And any time I even think about not being faithful to the God who saved me, I got a little childhood Bible. That's a memorial for me. And if I violate it, that inanimate book called a Bible will shout at me, don't do it. In the early days of my pastoral ministry, Tim Keller said, I met a woman named Sally. This is a funny line. Who had the misfortune of being born beautiful. Even in childhood, she saw the power that she would wield with her physical attractiveness. At first, she used her beauty to manipulate others, but eventually others used her beauty to manipulate her. She came to feel that she was powerless and invisible unless some man was in love with her. She could not bear to be alone. As a result, she was willing to remain in relationships with men who were abusive Why did she endure such treatment? She had come to look at men for the kind of deep affirmation and acceptance that only God can provide. This is a great line. One day, Sally told me how she got her life back. (laughs) That's what I'm preaching about, how to get your life back. She went to a counselor who rightly pointed out that she'd been looking to men for her identity, for her salvation. Instead, the counselor proposed 
She should get a career and become financially independent as a way of building up her self-esteem. Sally agreed wholeheartedly that she needed to stand on her own two feet economically, but she resisted the advice about finding self-esteem. I was being advised to give up a common female idolatry and take on a common male idolatry. But I didn't want to have my self-worth dependent on career success any more than on men. I wanted to be free. How did she do it? She came across Colossians 3 where Paul writes, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. She came to realize that neither men nor career nor anything else should be her life or identity. What mattered was not what men thought of her or career success, but what Christ had done for her and how he loved her. So when she saw a man was interested in her, she would silently say in her heart toward him, You may turn out to be a great guy, and maybe even my husband, but you can never be my life. Only Christ is my life. When she began to do this, she got her life back. This spiritual discipline gave her the ability to set boundaries and make good choices, and eventually to love a man for himself, and not simply to use men to bolster her self-image. She had answered the question that we all must address in order to live our lives the way we should. Who can I turn to who is so beautiful that he will enable me to escape all the counterfeit gods? Who can I turn to who is so beautiful that he will enable me to escape all counterfeit gods? There's only one answer to this question. As the poet George Herbert wrote, looking at Jesus on the cross, thou art my loveliness, my life, my light, beauty alone to me. God, as we navigate the terrain of our hearts related to your God will be my God, we pause to think about the idolatry that we let into our lives and I think about the idolatry I allow in mine. Like Larry, I ask God that you would help me to receive Paula, not as an idol or as a possession, but may I receive Paula as a wonderful gift from God. I thank you, Lord, that as we look at our hearts and we see what things are alternative gods to us, what things are are difficult for us to imagine living without. We want to say, God, bring us to the place that if you're all we have, we have everything we want and need because only Jesus may satisfy our souls. As we take the bread and the cup and eat the bread and drink the cup, Lord, may you remind us That it's not the bread of fame or the bread of sex or the bread of acclaim that satisfies the hunger. It's, It's not the beverage of popularity. It's not the beverage of retirement accounts. It's not the beverage of church life that satisfies our hunger. It's 
Only the body and blood of our Lord Jesus satisfies our hunger. And we receive communion today as an antithesis to idolatry. In Jesus' name, amen. Please go to communion and receive on your own today. And we'll pray in just a moment. life you are love you bring light to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken great are you Your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. Great are you, Lord. You give